0: This is gonna be the first of our Zoom meeting interviews. We're starting this process on our podcasts and hope to be able to have one or two interesting people brought to you on a regular basis. Today, I'm kind of turning the tables and gonna have a free-for-all with my daughter, Caroline. Uh, So she's gonna ask the questions and, and try and put me on the spot with some answers. So Caroline, over to you.
1: Thanks, Dad. We always like to laugh that, you know, time is going by when you realize your daughter, me, is a fourth generation teacher in this family and that we've been actually at it that long. And the other day, dad and I were talking about classrooms. My great grandmother started in a one room schoolhouse and I'm sitting here on the internet Every day with high schoolers and and middle schoolers who are so much more tech savvy, that really is not a joke than I am. And uh, Dad and I started talking about all the different ways we try to make sure students pay attention. And Dad, today, can you talk about um, how you used to get your students to pay attention in your classroom?
0: That's that's not fair. Um, My first classroom experience was teaching at McGill University at night school and I was teaching people how to teach in the physical education department. And half of the class was in a classroom and half of the class was in a lab, specifically in this case in the swimming pool. Well, the classroom had a lectern at the front of it that was raised by about two feet. Uh, The old days looking down on everybody, right? And there were stairs on both sides so I could get up and down easily. Uh, You know, in those days I could have jumped up and down just as easily. But I had a podium at the front and a blackboard. And the chalk I used was about two and a half inches in diameter, big stuff, easy to write with, easy to see. And because of its size, it was also easy to race. So being the lazy guy I am, that's what I used. And I had a habit and still do of wandering around through the classroom so that people have to kind of follow where I go. But this room was weird. It was long and skinny. It might have had uh, six people across and uh, an aisle down the middle that was maybe three or four feet. So every now and again, uh, we had a weather man in Montreal in those days by the name of Percy Sulzman And I got the idea from him. He used to walk around in front of the map, throwing his chalk up and down. And he used a big piece of chalk as well. Now, this chalk would hurt. And somebody somewhere always in the first class would not be paying attention or be talking to somebody else. In other words, they weren't weren't there as students. They were there as disruptors. And I had a habit of throwing chalk. And all I needed to do was hit one person in that first class. And from that point forward, nobody did anything wrong. They followed me around the room watching the chalk. Now I hope they had a two-track mind—one had their eyes watching the chalk and their ears listening to me talk—but I was never really sure about that. I'd be in jail if I did that today. Just as another illustration. Now, just to give you some bookends on the fourth generation teaching, my great—my grandmother, who I called Granny the Great when Caroline was born—got a master's degree at the University of Manitoba somewhere around 1920. Uh, maybe 15. And Caroline got her master's degree in education last year. So um, my mother and I, we're the slugs just in undergraduate school. Uh, my grandmother and my daughter are the, the pros. So that's that's how I kept attention in a classroom. I do that today. I just don't throw things. I warn people. I tell people that story. And today we're using flip charts and, and felt pins and I hold up the cap on the felt pen and said, you've got to be careful. This doesn't hurt as much as the other one did. And it wobbles. So it's kind of a zone shot. <laughs> and in the classroom, I used to have round tables, had five or six people at a table. And we'd have six tables in the room, 30, 35 people in a class. And I always told them that story and threatened to throw this wobbling felt pen pit. I never did. Um and and hit somebody got a chuckle, but they paid attention when I wandered around the room. So that's sometimes your words don't do it. I had a teacher in grade nine health whose name was Tommy Thompson, and he's the one that hired me at McGill, as it turns out. But Tommy, um, he taught health to grade nine students. Now think of that: grade nine boys being taught health today they call it sex education. And Tommy, to get our attention, would play all kinds of rules. He'd screw up his face. He'd, he'd squint. He'd, he'd talk funny. Anything he could do. And he was trying to get and keep our attention. And it worked. And that's the root of how I tried to practice teaching in a room, to get people's attention. You're trying to transfer information, but if the audience doesn't want to receive, it doesn't get you anywhere.
1: We, uh, I always have to laugh because teachers, although yes, we definitely don't throw things, (laughs) um, do all of these different songs and dances to keep attention in the classroom, to keep people on track, listening. And on my side, it's always, can I get them to engage with it? They want to talk about it or argue about it, whatever it is. But I find in the Zoom world, quite often when I have a sudden room full of silence and maybe no cameras on. um, I fall back on singing. I take popular melody and start singing at the students, naming names, but you won't open your mic and talk to me. And invariably, I think I'm going to have to bring it back when we go in person because it really works and it works very quickly. So there you go. Modern day chalk, just sing.
0: Well, the trick on that is identifying what it is that works and using it. You know, Caroline, you're teaching people subject matter that they don't know. You're, you're starting from a, a, a clear blackboard, a, an, an open head, and filling it with ideas, trying to get them to think about things, and, and come, especially with English, and, and and make something out of it. I'm dealing with adults it's a different world. I won't want to say that they think they know everything that there is to know, but in many cases, it's very close to that. And it it's, it's, you know, what am I doing here? I I don't need to spend the next two days with you. What is this? And to some degree, that's why we modified this to the subject specific classes on the internet where we've got roughly a two hour time block. Some people can go through an hour and a half. Some people go three hours, but that was an offshoot of the webinar approach back in the early 2000s, where you had an hour to transfer information about a specific subject to an audience you couldn't see. I hated that. So as you know, we, we put a high-definition camera in, we projected to an eight-foot-by-eight-foot screen, and every now and then I would turn off the projector and walked in in front of the camera so that they would be able to see me. And if you remember, it became a standing joke because I wore Hawaiian shirts. Again, something to get people's attention, something to get them engaged. And, you know, people would pay attention. They, they kept waiting for when's he going to show up because I want to see what kind of Hawaiian shirt he's wearing today. And, you know, the two of us are teaching two very different audiences. And each of those audiences needs a different way to be engaged. If singing works. If standing on your head and spinning nickels works, I you know, quite frankly, as a teacher, I don't care. Um, I love, I really get excited when I see the lights go on in somebody's head when they get it. That really turns my crank.
1: That's, that one gets me too. Even if the light in their eyes is the light of combat because they're certain they understand it and that whatever it is, it is wrong. That's the way it happens there. a lot. Yeah. That happens
0: a lot. Doesn't it?
1: They're wrong teacher. <laughs> well, sometimes it's uh, long dead authors who are wrong. Hmm. You know, which is always a good way to do it. If you could argue with this person right now, what would you say? What do you okay. think they would say?
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: All different ways to understanding. I just kind of laugh when I think about, you know, learning without scars. And then I think of the chalk. Good thing Chop can't scar people.
0: Well, you know, we're doing, we continue to do everything we can to attract people's attention. We just put up a a new banner line on the bottom of our webpage called The Time Is Now on our podcast. And tomorrow, there's a podcast going up explaining how we arrived at the name Learning Without Scars. Because, as you know, Caroline, many people, and you've spoken to them, say there's no such thing with, me of learning without scars. It's always with scars. Yes. And the thing I keep saying to people, and they don't really get it. They do, but it's hard. Learning is difficult. Mm -hmm. Trying to grow as an individual, try to become better as a person is difficult. It's not easy. And if you're going to be in a classroom, you're engaged with people, you're trying to get to learn to understand and it, it goes back to my, my three things in management. Everybody has to understand what it is we're trying to do. So in the classroom, everybody has to understand what I'm trying to transfer to them, what you're trying to transfer to your kids. And then comes acceptance. And that's the part that most people miss. With acceptance, you have to allow vigorous discussion, debate, arguments now that's an arithmetic term right an argument is a formula it's not a fight so if we're going to if we're going to have understanding what we're trying to do then i need you to accept that what we're trying to do is the right thing to do and in many cases that's alien to what they're used to it's different it provokes a change and change is really tough I, I teasingly tell people, if you think change is tough at work, go home and tell your wife or significant other you're going to sleep on the other side of the bed and let me know how that turns out for you, because that won't happen. You're going to sleep on the couch. So it, it's you know it, it's a whole host of things that um, comes through in, in that debate. And if you have understanding that we understand what we're trying to do, and if we accept that what we're trying to do is the right thing to do, you don't need to worry about it happening cuz people will be individually committed to make it happening it happen and 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 that's the magic because you're not there all the time i used to say to 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 the students when i'm teaching them to teach look your job is to teach curriculum that's true but more importantly you're there to teach them how to teach themselves and that's a lifelong skill and one that we you know too many people leave school and figure that's the end that's just the beginning and that's what makes this whole darn thing so difficult i love teaching i really do
1: and it's it is hard to persuade people to continue with what they think of as what they had to do school oh so many people come out of the traditional k through 12 experience and even maybe an undergraduate experience feeling like okay i broke free of it finally like they were stuck. And I think the process of teaching them content, yes, obviously, but teaching them the way that they learn, teaching them to be aware of it. Once we learn about learning and understand it, we can teach ourselves. And that doesn't end until you die, basically. You always keep learning one way or another.
0: And we're not sure that that stops when we pass either. You know, know. that's the other, that's the other mysterical thing, the mysterious thing, the, the, um, the ability for people, the blog I posted last night was about seeking out your potential. And you've heard Caroline, me say this over and over again. If somebody tells you at 16, you've got a lot of potential. That's a heck of a compliment. And then I flip it and say at 66, if the same person asks the same question or makes the same state and you have a lot of potential, what have you been doing the last 50 years? And a lot of people, life is tough. Jordan Peterson's got a new book out and he's identifying what he calls 12 rules for life. This is the second 12 rules, but you know, he's got some very basic fundamental things. Stand straight keep your shoulders back make one room in your house beautiful you know in other words like the the head of special forces who is now the chancellor i think at ut said make your bed so that you've always got some place to go back to that's the way it should be some sanctum you know sanctum somewhere that you can escape from whatever the travails are the the problems that you've had during the day and 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 regain your your sense of balance it's hard to do it it uh Getting people to strive um, is difficult. I was blessed because I swam, and I was never competing against others. I was always competing against my best time. Mm -hmm. My coach was always driving me, pain in the butt that he was. You know, beat that time. Come on. Get with it. And when I couldn't, he became a really nasty son of a gun. I tell the story. I cannot swim 25 meters underwater, arms only can't do it. My body shape just doesn't allow it to happen. And my coach was from Scotland. His name was uh, Dick Gall. And he rode my butt on that like a maniac. Well, he ended up working for me at McGill (laughs) and paybacks are sometimes pretty nasty. Well, we used to run drills across the width of the pool You'd be in the pool. Everybody's lined up against the side. I'd blow a whistle and you sprint it to the other side. And we did that back and forth wind sprints until I could see their tongues were hanging out. And then we had a a five meter board. No, it must have been a, a, a ten meter board in the pool. It was a Olympic style pool back in those days. Today they're all fifty meters. This was twenty five. But I put Dick all up on the. 10 meter pool uh, board and had him platform and had him do a stride jump, which is a lifesaving move where you go in feet first and you smack your arms down when you hit the water and your legs are like a scissor and you smack them together when you hit the water. But it's painful. As you can imagine, just close your eyes and think about somebody coming down 33 feet and having to keep their head above water. And he was not a happy man. Sometimes his bathing suit was up at his shoulders. Ouch. Didn't hurt my feelings one bit. And, you know, he said, why are you doing this to me? And I said, well, think about it. <laughs> and he did. You know, but, but again, it's, it's the same thing. Find something that works. Um, you know, class positions. How people, you know, come to the front and talk. Dale Carnegie. At the end of the Dale Carnegie structure, everybody who's in the class apparently gets up. I haven't taken this. So this is third hand or more, more information. They stand in the front of the classroom and everybody else, their co-students, fellow students, has to stand up and say something nice about you. That's kind of an interesting exercise. So I tried that a few times in the classroom. It gets embarrassing. So I stopped it. But that might be something you try, Carolyn, with, with, with your crowd.
1: I make it more difficult. Yeah. I ask them to stand up and say something nice about themselves. Well,
0: oh, you're right. That is tough. And that subjects them to a little bit of ridicule at times, too, I'll bet.
1: No. Um, one of the things I emphasize from day one it sounds silly, but I say we have our own nation, our own culture, our own everything inside these four walls, our classroom. So what kind of community are we building? What is our class culture? And mine is always one rule. Be kind. Even if you disagree vehemently, you are still kind in the way you listen and the way you speak. What does that look like? How do you feel when you actually have that happening? So I did that in part because Teenagers, you know, there's going to be dating drama and fan fiction drama, music, sports, regular fighting, just all of the things that happen on a campus where people are crowded together. But once we come through this door, we get to throw it away. And so, with that, when somebody says something kind about themselves, they're right. The first time we try it every year, though, maybe one or two can think of something nice to say about themselves. We're Isn't not trained strange. to do that.
0: Isn't it strange? Another one that would be nice is: What do you think is your your uh, most significant attribute? What do you think you're best at? And just getting people to think about that is is uh, is progress, because we don't give ourselves time. In this world where everything's sowing so darn fast, change is happening so quickly, it's almost like we're out of control. Social media pounding you all day, your peer group pounding you all day, your customers, your suppliers, your co-workers. It's, uh, it's, It's very difficult. Take a moment. Calm. You know, at one point I was supervising a counter. This is in Montreal. There were eight men. In those days, it was nothing but men rather sexist industry, but that's another subject. And whenever the boss came around, there was nothing happening. You know, Murphy truly is an optimist. So I had these eight guys sitting there doing something, I catching their breath. Some of them having a cup of coffee, some of them having a smoke. In those days, you could smoke indoors. And my boss always said, you got too many people. And they were never there. When the phones are ringing off the wall, and there's three or four people stacked up at the counter, and the guys are going nuts. It's really an amazing circumstance, reflecting on who you are, reflecting on what you know, reflecting on how to become better. Leaders are also teachers. Management is, is, is a teacher. You know my deal about we manage process, we lead people. We don't manage people. Um, that's an arrogant comment to begin with, isn't it? But as times have evolved, You know, you used to have the the boss sitting at the front of a a room of people, 40, 50, 60, 100 people at times with a green eye shade over his head. You know, the characterization Mm -hmm. caricature teachers, the same thing. You know, why do we have a classroom structure the way we do? Maybe this pandemic will force us to rethink some of that stuff, like rethinking learning is happening. Uh, The Khan Academy radically transformed. Learning for young people all the way through high school. Coursera is doing things today, all of the major universities, Harvard, MIT, Georgia Tech, Yale, etc., Stanford, they all have all of their classes online, but you don't earn college credits. That's how they justify the the fees they charge, which let's not get into, but I when I was in school I paid roughly five hundred dollars a quarter. If it was and I still had to work five nights a week and two days on the weekend. Um, I don't know how people make out today. I don't know how you make it made out, you know, student loans and all it's, it's tough duty at work. Your companies are prepared to pay for you to take classes, to pay for you to learn, take advantage of it. Absolutely. What I call walk around assets. It's what's between your ears. And that's transferable. That goes with you, wherever the heck you go. So how'd we do Caroline,
1: I think we did great.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.